everyone, and welcome to Myth in the Mojave, 30 minutes of storytelling and conversation about mythology and why it's important to our lives today. I'm your personal mythologist, Catherine Savela. Wherever you may be in this wide, beautiful world of ours, you are part of this story circle. So a couple of ravens greeted me this morning, and this encounter combined with my awareness of the many bird lovers who listen regularly to this program, led me to a new story and a new collection of stories, which I want to share with you in today's program. The story is called The Wise Crow Jataka, and it's from Endless Path, Awakening Within the Buddhist Imagination, Jataka Tales, Zen Practice, and Daily Life by Rafe Martin. Jataka tales are a central part of classical Buddhist folklore, and they're stories about the Buddha's past lives and his bodhisattva journey. These stories illustrate the way or the path of the bodhisattva and the development of the ten virtues, or paramita, that are required to manifest this bodhisattva state of being. Rafe Martin became familiar with these stories when he and his wife started studying with Philip Kaplow Roshi at the Rochester Zen Center in Rochester, New York. And you might recognize Kaplow's name. He's the author of Three Pillars of Zen, which is a book I highly recommend if you're interested in Zen Buddhism. In his introduction to uh, Endless Path, Martin lists these virtues or paramitas and reminds us that these are an intimate part of our nature, of human nature. We have the raw material to bring these forth, but it has to be consciously worked. We have the ability to exhibit and fully live selfless generosity, for example. But it isn't going to just happen. You've got to really take up the task of working yourself to bring it into a real lived reality. Now, these paramitas or virtues are selfless generosity, morality, forbearance, vigor, meditation, Wisdom, skillfulness, resolve, strength, and knowledge. Now, whenever I look at this list, I'm struck by how many of these virtues have to do with stamina in one way or another. At least that's how I interpret this combination of forbearance, resolve, strength, and even skillfulness, skillful use of energy so that you can keep going. In this moment, I'm feeling like stamina is something I'm going to be very much in need of in the months and years ahead. Rafe links this story of the wise crow to the development of the virtue of wisdom. His telling is followed by a commentary on the tale and Buddhist practice And I'll share something from this with you, too, if time allows. 
Now, when I worked with the Sufi poem, Conference of the Birds, in preparation for sharing it with you, and that was a recent program that's in the archives on Bandcamp, if you haven't heard it, one thought kept returning to me, and that was the unrelenting difficulty of the journey. When the birds reached the third valley, the Valley of Understanding, I read that with the expectation that some little glimmer of light was going to appear, that dawn was going to break, you know, understanding, the Valley of Understanding. To me, that meant that the birds might find some respite or relief from the effort of their already very long flight. But no. If you remember the story, the Valley of Understanding was a place where they found only confusion and the imperative to keep flying, that is to continue striving for the wakefulness, for the awareness and attention required to learn any deep truth. So I'm still thinking about this and what it reveals about my expectations and, as I said, my own stamina. I find some encouragement in these Jataka tales and the realization that Buddha did not become Buddha in one lifetime or even 20 or 100. In his preface, Rafe Martin writes, whatever we're going through, the Buddha went through it too. Whatever shortcomings we have, the Buddha had them too. Now, I invite you to relax and listen to the story. Take note of your response and the details that attract your attention and invite them to move you toward greater understanding and opening in the days to come. Here is my version of Rate Martin's telling of the wise crow, Jataka. Once long ago, very, very long ago, when the Brahmamata still reigned in Varanasi. The Bodhisattva, the one we later knew as Buddha, was born as a crow. Over time, he became the leader of a great rowdy group of crows, nearly a thousand strong, that lived in the cemetery in Varanasi. One day, the king's chaplain went down to the river to bathe. And after bathing, he dried himself off and put on his fine and and clean, good clothes, put some garlands of sweet-smelling flowers around his neck, and started walking back to the city, feeling quite refreshed quite refreshed and also quite good about himself. And as he got closer to the city, two crows who were sitting up on the archway of the city gate looked down and saw him. And one of the crows said, "Ah, look at that king's chaplain, walking along there in his finery, hoping to catch a glimpse of himself reflected in every puddle. I'm going to let something drop. On that proud man's head. 
Now, the other crow didn't think that was such a good idea, and he said to his companion, no, no, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. Um, it's true. He is vain and self-important, but he has a certain amount of power, and if you do what you have in mind, I think you're asking for trouble, and it might not just affect you. You don't want to unnecessarily rouse his anger. So be careful, or you might bring some pain down on all of us. Well, said the other crow, I'm sorry. I just can't resist the temptation. I really want to see how this guy is going to react to this. And the second crow, who really thought this was a bad idea, shook his head and said, nah, I think this is foolish and I don't want to be around to see what happens. And he flew away. Well, when the chaplain got just below the gate, the first crow let fall and, of course, splat on his head. Perfect aim. Right on the top of his head. And the chaplain was furious furious because of course without thinking he reached up to clean the bird shit off of his head and got it all over the sleeve of his nice clean good robe so his clothes his head his just felt he just bleh he and he looked up and he saw the crow the perpetrator of this and shook his fist at the bird and the crow just caw cawed at him and flew away the chaplain, fuming with anger, watched him go and he yelled after the bird, I'm going to get even with you, you stupid bird. How dare you disrespect somebody like me? And in that instant, the chaplain grew a deep hatred for all crows and a desire for revenge. Now, it just so happened that not very long after this, a servant girl who had been given the job of guarding the granary where rice was drying out in the sun fell asleep. And a goat wandered up and started to eat the rice. The girl woke up at one point and saw the goat and shouted and drove it away. And for a time, everything was okay, but it was a nice warm afternoon and she was sitting out in the sun. And before long, she fell asleep again and the goat came back and ate some more of the rice. And again, she woke up and she chased it away. But every time she calmed down from her exertions and sat back down on the ground, she fell back asleep, and every time she fell asleep, the goat took advantage of that and came back. So after this happened a few more times, the girl thought, you know, I've got to get rid of this goat for good because he's eating a lot of the rice, and I'm going to be in big trouble for not protecting it better. And the goat keeps interrupting my nap. So she laid back down as if she was going back to sleep. But she was just, she just pretended. She pretended that she was asleep. And so then the goat came up and saw her and once again, like went back to the rice. But this time, 
The girl leapt up, grabbed a torch, and threw it at the goat, hitting it in the back. Now, the torch happened to be lit, and a spark that caught in the goat's coat burst into flames. And this goat, on fire, in panic, in pain, ran down to the elephant stables and rolled around in the straw to put the fire out, which worked good for the goat. But the straw caught on fire, and the stables began to burn, and the king's elephants, who were chained in there, trumpeted and trumpeted madly, they, they, but they, they couldn't escape, and they got burned before the fire was put out. The elephant doctors were called in to examine, but they didn't know what to do to heal these burns. And finally, someone said, you know, the chaplain might know. He's a wise man, and he's traveled around. He might have an idea. So the chaplain was summoned, and he examined the suffering elephants, and he he said, yeah, no, I know exactly what we need to heal the burns. We need crow's fat. Yes, we need crow's fat. That should be the remedy. But we're, you're going to need a lot of crows because each crow only has just a very teeny small bit of fat. And some crows don't even have any. So you're going to need a lot of crows, but crow's fat is just the thing we need to heal the elephants. The doctors had never, ever heard of this, but they didn't have any ideas of their own. So they shrugged and said, okay, what do we have to lose? Let's see if it works. And it would be good to know if it works. So the king ordered that crows should be killed and their fat should be collected and rendered into a healing balm for his elephants. And a tremendous slaughter of crows began. People hunted them down mercilessly, using every available weapon, arrows, stones, nets. And since no fat was found on any of the birds, they just kept killing them, looking for the crows that would have fat. And pretty soon, there were just piles of, of bodies of dead crows laying all around the city. And the crows became very afraid. As his fellow crows became more and more terrified, the great being the crow, Buddha, Bodhisattva, thought, I must make a great effort here and free all of my fellow crows from this slaughter and from the daily fear of it. In his mind, he reviewed the various perfections. That is the paramita. That is the virtues and with wisdom as his guide, he flapped his wings and flew over to the king's palace. He flew in through a window and landed on the polished floor of the throne room and stood there, a great, gleaming, shining black crow, looked confidently around. 
And when some servants came into the room and saw him, they started yelling and they grabbed some sticks and brooms and you know they thought, oh, we've got to get him out of here, drive him away or kill him or something before the king shows up. And the great crow went and took refuge underneath the king's throne. And the servants were still trying to beat him with sticks and pull him out from underneath the throne when the king himself came into the room and saw this. When he saw the crow hiding underneath his throne, he forbade the servants to harm him. My throne, he said, is a sacred. And although it's a crow, he has taken sanctuary. So let him be. Leave him alone. The king sat down in his throne. And the great being, the Buddha crow, remembered his mission to save his people, and he came out from underneath the throne and straightened out his feathers, and he hopped up onto one arm and looked the king in the eye and said, Sire, to be a truly good ruler, a king must cleave to his own wisdom and not let himself be driven about by ignorance or passion, and he He should be very cautious about the advice that he takes because the lives of many beings, not just humans, are in his hands. And if he fails to live up to his responsibility to look out for the welfare of all of his subjects, the consequences will be very dire. A king needs to look closely for the truth in everything before making decrees and taking action. Wise crow, said the king. I wholeheartedly agree. I, yes, so where is my fault? Sire, said the great crow, crows don't have any fat. Crows don't have any fat at all. So killing a crow to get its fat is a a big mistake. Whoever told you to do that was lying. And they have created a situation where you're doing a lot of evil that is going to bring you harm. Well, said the king, my chaplain is the one who told me, and he only got involved because I asked him to. I asked him to help me ease the suffering of my elephants who were burned by the goat that ran away from the girl who watched the grain. My king, said the crow, Bodhisattva, your chaplain had an ulterior motive He's not a wise man, a very willful and foolish crow, shat on his head and ruined his hair and his clothes with a dropping. And he, the chaplain, he swore revenge on these birds. And he may be a chaplain, but in his heart, he harbors not love, but anger and hate. The king was visibly moved. He took his responsibilities as king very seriously and said to the crow bodhisattva, Well, you have saved me from continuing in a great error. I shall repay you. And he had a golden throne brought in for the crow, and when the crow hopped up onto it, the servants oiled his feathers and some choice foods were brought in and served to him from golden bowls. So while they sat together, the king said, Great, great being, 
Tell me then, why is it that crows have no fat? O king, said the great being, we crows don't have any fat because we're always being chased. We have to scramble around for our food. We have to work really hard to get enough to eat. We don't have the leisure. We're always on the move, always at work. Well, said the king, in that case, then, I'm going to have the best cooked rice put out for all of the crows in my land. Not only will they not be harmed again, but I will feed them because I really want to make up for this awful deed. Oh, sire, said the great being, I will tell them. And we thank you. Now, from now on, you must remember to always carefully investigate the truth. Take nothing on hearsay and examine everything carefully until you are sure that it satisfies your demand of reason. This is the royal way of kings. The king now invited the great crow to rule with him. You're a bird, he said. It's true, but you have great wisdom and kindness and courage. But the great being, the Buddha crow, said, No, I, I have my own people. I will guide my crow people. But please continue to follow the path of goodness. There is no other advice I can give you except to remind you once again that you are responsible to take care of even the least being in your kingdom. And the king promised the great crow that he would do this. And off went the great crow. With a loud caw, caw, he flew out of the king's throne room and went back to the crows. Now after this, the king saw to it that all of the animals and the birds in his realm were treated well. And he was especially generous to the crows and had his servants and people set out many bushels of rice and other foods for them. The vengeful chaplain was severely reprimanded and demoted. He was given the job of setting out the grain for the crows and cleaning up after the elephants. And the great crow told his flock not to gather and watch and mock that former chaplain as he did his work. And for the most part, they dutifully followed his wise decree. Ravens and crows, as you probably know, have great intelligence, a sense of humor, self-awareness, language, the ability to make tools, to learn, and even to imagine. Ravens are one face of the mythological trickster, and aptly so. I find it really appropriate that the Buddha spent one of his incarnations as a crow. Crows and ravens are also admired and feared around the world because of their association with death. They are carrion birds. They eat the dead. You've seen them out on the roads, picking at roadkill. They also went after the bodies of warriors, 
dead and wounded warriors on battlefields. And I find this link with the Buddha appropriate too, as a reminder that we are part of the great cycle or recycle (laughs) of life, life and death. This story obviously conveys the error of self-importance and arrogance and the kind of hatred that can be bred from that so quickly and the resulting destruction. But the other thing, the main thing I find myself wondering about is the question of who we take as teachers. It's really to the king's credit that he listened to the great crow. Now, I imagine that if I had a crow or a raven address me the way that the Buddha crow did, I would pay attention. But still, who we take as teachers, that's another important part of developing wisdom. We have so many hierarchies. You know, the people who we think are smarter or better than we are, the people who we think are dumber or inferior to us, and all of the creatures. Let's face it, the human beings have very self-importantly created a pyramid where we're on the top. But if we understand that we are all bound up together, everything and everyone, our fate is common. We're all going in the same direction. Then maybe we can understand that everyone offers us a chance to look in the mirror, to see ourselves more clearly, and to love. Well, some things are best conveyed by poetry. And so I want to share a couple of poems with you from a collection called A Bird Black as the Sun, California Poets on Crows and Ravens. And this book was edited by Enid Osborne and Cynthia Anderson, who is a local poet and friend of mine who's been a guest on this show. You can find our conversation about the desert and poetry and Cynthia's book, Desert Dweller, on the poetry CD that is in the archives on Bandcamp. So let me read you first a poem called On the Nature of Things by Len Anderson. The squawking crow flies down from the redwood tree to tell me he is not a crow. Not bird. Not passerine bird of the family, Corvita. Nor mind, nor body, nor thing. And not a crow. In fact, he says, he hasn't even been discovered yet. When I was young, I dreamt. I climbed marble stairs towards the room that held the book of what each thing is. Golden light poured down those stairs from a room so high I could never see it. From that book I would learn what is crow, what is redwood, what am I. Crow tells me the black of his wings is deeper than any book. Friends, there are hours I have no greater grief, no greater joy. I will never know what I am. Crow flies down often to tell me so. That's On the Nature of Things by Len Anderson. 
And there's one other one in here that's simply called Raven by Steve Coet. Squawks from a raven in what used to be Jack Funk's field over the fence, scolding me till I look up and see that the hills are still there, that the day couldn't be lovelier, sweeter. Susan Green's little girls are chatting in sing-song up in the treehouse, in what used to be Dempsey's old place to the west. And who will stroll over those 4.5 acres of rolling high desert chaparral when we two are gone? The tin barn. The pump house and shed. That underground stream from which we've been drinking our fill these dozen years. Who'll own all this dusty blue mountain lilac, the aloe and roses and pines and bright orange ice plant? Who'll walk in the shade of that live oak under which Ralphie and Ivan and Charlie and Eddie are buried? Who'll watch the quail flutter out of the brush and the rabbits scurry for cover? Who will these granite boulders and lovely agaves belong to when you and I, love, are buried and long forgotten. Forgive me, sweet earth, for not being shaken more often out of the heavy sleep of the self. Wake up, wake up, scolds the raven, sailing off over the canyon. Wake up, wake up, wake up. That's it for me, Catherine Savela, and Myth in the Mojave for this week. Feel free to contact me if you have questions or comments about today's program. If you're new to Myth in the Mojave, I invite you to go to the Myth in the Mojave website or the Facebook page and subscribe so that you receive regular program announcements every time I release a new episode. If you find something of value in these programs, please join the Myth in the Mojave community on Bandcamp. For only $5 a month, you have unlimited access to all of the programs free downloads of everything, everything past and everything I will create. And you will play, believe me, an essential role in making future programs possible. Thank you so much for listening. Please tune in next time. And until then, happy myth-making and keep the mystery in your life alive. Mm-hmm.